Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, everyone. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Spoken, which is a cool new online service that offers flexible and tailored English lessons delivered by your personal teacher straight to your phone using all of your favorite messaging apps, including WhatsApp, WeChat, Viber, and Facebook Messenger. Um, the, all the content comes straight to your phone from your teacher in the messaging app. Uh, the lessons are pretty short and they combine bits of listening, speaking, reading, and writing to help you to improve your English. English for all kinds of different situations. And Spoken are offering you two free lessons and then 20% off all of their course packages. Uh, go to getspoken.com slash LEP or click a Spoken logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello there. Hello. 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 And welcome to another episode of Luke's English Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk to you about one of my favourite stand-up comedians from the UK. And we're going to hear some of his comedy and use it to learn English. I'm talking about a comedian called Bill Bailey, who's very well known in Britain and very successful. He's been on TV a lot, does lots of live shows where he tours the country and things like that. I've been a big fan of Big, uh, big Bailey. That's not his name. I'll start that again. I've been a big fan of Bill Bailey since I first saw him on TV in the late 1990s, I think. And I'm glad to say I once saw him performing stand-up in Hammersmith, which is where Bill lives and where I used to live too. It wasn't in his house. Uh, it was nearby. But anyway, he does live in the town of Hammersmith. And I went to see him in Hammersmith. And he happens to also live in Hammersmith. Uh, who is Bill Bailey? So, Bill Bailey uh, is an English comedian, uh, primarily a stand-up comedian, but also a musician, actor, TV radio presenter and author. Uh, Bill Bailey is known for his role in the TV show Black Books. That's probably where most people know him. Uh, certainly, if people probably listening to this, that's the place that you're probably going to know him from. Black Books, which is that brilliant uh, comedy show which uh, came out of, I guess, the UK and Ireland because it was written by an Irish writer and it, it had uh, an Irish uh, comedian in it as well. But uh, one of the characters was called Manny and the character of Manny was played by Bill Bailey. That's probably where he's best known. Um, and uh, Manny in that show is similar to Bill Bailey in a way. Um, he certainly looks like Bill Bailey, which you would expect considering Bill Bailey was the actor who was portraying him. Um, anyway, also, as well as being on Black Books, he's been on other things, like, for example, Nevermind the Buzzcocks, which is like a music-themed uh, sort of quiz, comedy quiz show, a panel show. Also, Have I Got News For You and QI, as well as his extensive stand-up work, including his DVD specials, such as Part Troll and Dandelion Mind. 
Uh, Bill Bailey was listed by the Observer newspaper as one of the 50 funniest acts in British comedy in 2003. In 2007, and again in 2010, he was voted the seventh greatest stand-up comic on Channel 4's 100 Greatest Stand-Ups. In this episode, we're going to listen to some of Bill's comedy and then we're going to understand it all so that you can hopefully enjoy it as much as a native speaker would. So lots of language, lots of listening and all the usual stuff that you would expect. Obviously, uh, since we're talking about comedy and we're going to be listening to comedy, which I personally find uh, very funny, obviously your enjoyment of comedy is subjective, like everyone's enjoyment of of this kind of thing. It's always subjective. And what's funny to one person isn't funny to another person. But the vast majority of, of what goes into appreciating a comedian is, of course, being able to actually understand the things that they're saying. So don't judge it until you fully understand it. I hope that there's uh, a lot uh, for you to learn from this episode and that you also enjoy it and find find out about a very funny comedian who has lots of videos on YouTube and DVDs that you can buy and enjoy over and over again. Um, Let's talk now a little bit more about Bill Bailey um, and then we can hear some of his comedy. So here are a few little things that you should know that might help you to appreciate his humour a bit more. So the first thing is, is his appearance. He's got quite a funny appearance or an unusual appearance he looks a bit like an old hippie or something even though he doesn't really associate with the hippies he's apparently he associates more with the punk movement and he's probably of that generation but he looks a bit like an old hippie he's got kind of boggly eyes his eyes kind of stick out a bit especially when he does certain expressions with his face it makes his eyes kind of stick out he's got a bald forehead and long straggly hair down the back and the sides and a kind of a round face Uh, with an expressive face that often takes sort of... uh, He looks kind of confused or surprised, uh, that kind of uh, face. Um, Now, that description sounds almost mean, really, but Bill also is a lovely person, and he's quite kind of cuddly and amusing just to look at. Um, And he he uses his appearance well, making himself look like a crazy person, and I think it, it sort of helps to gain laughs... Uh, but inside, he's I think he's a very down-to-earth guy with a good sense of humour. Now, what about his type of comedy? Um, it's, it's basically a bit weird, a bit strange, uh, a bit surreal. Um, quite cerebral means it's kind of brainy and intelligent. And it generally sort of considers the stranger aspects of life. He's the sort of comic that some people would say was a bit random. Uh, meaning that he's a bit strange and he tends to look at life from a different angle. Um, He doesn't just do ordinary observational comedy, but instead his work is full of musical parodies and existential thoughts and things like that. Uh, So there's there's music, there's a bit of left-wing politics, there's uh, some mentions of drugs and also local culture. So in terms of the music, he's a brilliant musician. I mean, he's amazing. It seems that he can play any instrument and do anything he wants on all those instruments. It's really amazing. And he uses uh, the music really, really well in his comedy. And he does parodies of different types of music, like parodies of songs and parodies of classical music. He mixes different styles together, um, sort of observing the fact that, for example, certain bits of classical music seem to have bits of Cockney music or uh, rock songs have got have borrowed uh, bits of music from classical and stuff like that. It's very clever. Um, and um, the left-wing politics, uh, it doesn't come into it much, but he is a member of the Labour Party and his political views come into his comedy in various ways as he tends to sort of make fun of 
certain aspects of capitalist culture, the consumer culture, um, celebrity culture, and things like the establishment uh, as well. Um, and um, so drugs, they come into it sometimes when he makes references to certain certain drugs like weed, for example, uh, or, or, or generally... Um, it seems that Bill has probably taken a few drugs in his time, as is evident in his surreal style and his existential musings, and maybe that kind of acid-burned hippie look that he seems to have. Um, Hammersmith, this is where he's from. It's in West London, where I used to live, but Bill also grew up in the West Country. That's the kind of southwest of England. So he has that he has a slight West Country accent. So in the West Country, people sort of speak like this. You know, it's slightly West Country accent. You kind of associate it with a farmer or something. Anyway, he's got a bit of that sort of uh, West Country accent. And he also lived in Wales, although that's not really evident in his accent. But generally, he speaks a kind of received pronunciation with a West Country or London twang. Um, he speaks, you know, like most people you would you would meet in, in West London, I think. Um, so let's now listen to a few clips. And then I'm going to explain what you hear. Uh, There are so many clips of Bill Bailey on YouTube, and I basically like all of them. But I'm going to play you probably about five things taken from various TV appearances and live shows over the years. Uh, Don't forget, you can get Bill Bailey's DVDs. Uh, There are many of them. I think my favourite one is called Part Troll, which it's, I guess, a joke in the fact that he looks a bit strange. He looks like this. He he could be part troll, not, not completely human. Um... So most of these uh, videos uh, showcase his musical talents as well as his comedy, his storytelling and so on. You'll be able to see them um, uh, embedded on the page for this episode on my website. So let's get started. The first one we're going to look at is um, uh, Bill Bailey talking about Beethoven, the classical music composer. And in this one, um, he's talking about um, uh, Beethoven expressing his frustration about losing something. Okay, now what I'm going to do is Play the first two minutes of this sketch, I think, or the first minute. Let's see how much you understand. And then I will kind of go back and explain some things. So I'm going to break it up like that. I'm going to break it up, break up the, the, the bit into a couple of minutes. And then I'm going to break it down, like break down the specific bits of language. So let's, let's hear Bill talking about, I guess, growing up... Um, gr- growing up um, in, uh, in a local town... Uh, that was uh, that didn't get a lot of education funding from the government, and as a result, many of these what is it institutions? Many institutions had to merge due to funding cuts. Merge, so they had to kind of come together. And he says that he, had, he attended the Bovington Gurney School of Performing Arts and Owl Sanctuary. An owl sanctuary is a place where you keep owls, maybe injured owls, and you keep them there and you help them to recover and then release them back into the wild. An owl is a bird that comes out at night. Uh, they're, they're known for like, appearing in the Harry Potter films, uh, that Harry Potter has a pet owl that uh, brings him letters and things like that. So... Uh, Bill Bailey attended the Bovington Gurney School of Performing Arts. So Bovington Gurney, I don't really know where it is, but it's like some very local little place. Uh, He attended the Bovington Gurney uh, Gurney School of Performing Arts and Owl Sanctuary. So they had to merge the school and the Owl Sanctuary. And he goes on to talk about how he studied Beethoven. I'm now going to let you listen to that, and I'll explain it in a moment uh, when I pause it, okay? I grew up, as I say, in the West Country. Not a great education. A lot of institutions had to merge uh, due to funding cuts, I attended the Bovington Gurney School of Performing Arts and Owl Sanctuary. And, um, 
No, yeah, a lot of owl duty during the day. But the, the education was quite broad. The musical education was, was excellent. I, I studied uh, both classical and modern composers. I studied Beethoven. Beethoven, a fascinating character. Very lonely, embittered man. Very drunken man. Slovenly, covered in dust and filth and beer. He was a very unpleasant man. He was prone to dark fits of temper. He would hurl stuff around the house and then scrawl sonatas on big blocks of cheese and then eat them to spite the world. But... Okay, I think I'm going to stop there. So he's talking about Beethoven. Obviously, it's not true. He's kind of doing one of these sort of made-up histories. Uh, he was saying that at school he studied Beethoven, who was a fascinating character, a very lonely, embittered man. If you are embittered, it means that you're sort of bitter about things that have happened to you in your life. You hold on to a lot of resentment. Um, embittered. E-M-B-I-T-T-E-R-E-D. Bitter is a word that you use to describe a certain type of flavour. Like a strong flavoured beer might be a bit bitter and it sort of makes your face kind of go into a certain shape, you know, like that. So if you're bitter as a person, it means that you're, you know, resentful and full of, you know, hatred and stuff like that. A very lonely, embittered man, a very drunken man, slovenly, so slovenly means lazy, covered in dust, uh, well, I think that's clear what that means, covered in dust, covered in dust and filth and beer. Uh, and he was a very unpleasant man. I, obviously, this isn't true, or maybe it is, I don't know, but I think Bill is basically being sort of, uh, he's playing with the history, you could say. Uh, Beethoven was prone to dark fits of temper. If you're prone to something, it means that you tend to do it. It's something that you often do. Um, um, and so he was prone, in this case, to dark fits of temper. Uh, fits of temper, these are like moments where you go into a really bad mood. Uh, in bad temper, okay? He was prone to dark fits of temper, so he would often be in a very bad mood. He would hurl stuff around the house. Hurl means throw. So he'd throw things around the house and then scrawl sonatas on big blocks of cheese. So obviously this is sort of ridiculous. Um, He would scrawl sonatas. That means he would quickly write sonatas. A sonata is a piece of classical music. He would write quickly, scrawl, sonatas on big blocks of cheese and then eat them to spite the world so he'd you know write some piece of classical music on a piece of cheese and then eat the cheese just to spite the world just to uh just to show how much he hates the world and to make everyone angry and apparently he channeled his anger into his work which is what we're going to hear now he was a genius obviously and he was able to channel this this anger into his work uh, this is no more prevalent than in the classic rage over a lost penny Uh, or the so-called Rondo Capriccio. Now, he'd lost a penny, he flew into a rage, but he was able to channel that rage. You can actually hear a semblance of the anger in the work, I feel. there's a sense there of the <laughs> controlled he's trying to find the penny his cleaning lady's trying to help him find it she's suggesting places where it might be he can't remember she can you think where you lost headed you lost headed no I can't remember where it is have you checked your pocket cause I have you stupid bitch <laughs> I'm paraphrasing from the German there obviously uh 
Okay, so that's, uh, what is it, Beethoven's uh, Rage Over a Lost Penny, which apparently was inspired by an argument that he had with his cleaning lady when he lost a penny. And you know when you lose something, it's extremely frustrating, right? You're like, where is that thing? I'm trying to find my keys. Or have you seen my penny? And the person who's with you will usually say the same things. Like, can you think where you last had it? Where were you when you last had it? Can you think where you last had it? And of course you go, no, I can't remember where it is. Have you checked your pockets? That's the other one. Have you checked your pockets? And uh, Beethoven apparently was like, of course I have, you stupid bitch. So it's just an example of how uh, Beethoven's domestic life may have come into his work. You see, there's a sense there of the <laughs> controlled. He's trying to find the penny. His cleaning lady's trying to help him find it. She's suggesting places where it might be. He can't remember. She. Can you think where you lost it? You lost it? No, I can't remember where it is. Have you checked your pocket? Of course I have, you stupid bitch. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing from the German there, obviously. Uh, All right, so uh, that was Bill Bailey talking about Beethoven. We're going to move on to um, one of the things that uh, he does really, really well, and that is making fun of uh, bits of music, uh, especially TV themes. And um, now this is where Bill, uh, I think he was performing in Australia a few years ago uh, in Melbourne, I think, at a comedy festival. And he he did this bit, which is maybe my favourite bit that he does, and it's about Starsky and Hutch, the TV show. I don't know if you have Starsky and Hutch or if you had Starsky and Hutch where you're from. But basically, here are a couple of things you need to know about Starsky. Well, I'm- actually, I'll tell you what. Let me play uh, the first part of his set before he starts talking about Starsky and Hutch. When he arrives and he makes a joke about his appearance and, uh, and a few other little jokes. So we'll do that and then we'll deal with the Starsky and Hutch stuff. So here are a few little jokes at the beginning of Bill Bailey's stand-up set from 1997, I think, in, um, in Australia. No, Montreal. N- not Australia at all. It was in Canada at the uh, Just for Last uh, festival in montreal um so just can you understand the first few jokes he makes and then we'll do with the the starsky and hutch stuff here we go lost on his way to Lollapalooza? nope from england it's bill bailey hello my name is bill bailey uh 1982 meatloaf look-alike regional winner uh, <laughs> I've had some tough jobs. Toughest job I've ever had, selling doors, door to door. <laughs> Imagine that. Bing bong, good afternoon, got an interest unit. Oh, you got one, haven't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I used to hang out at the park. Used to go out the park, be with my mates, the squirrels. I don't know if you know it. Squirrels, big dope heads. Yeah. You watch them in the park, you think they're nibbling on a nut. They're not. They're actually rolling a little joint. They're like, they're like. <laughs> now. Okay, right. So did you get that? There were like three things there, I guess. 
about three things. The first one was a joke about his appearance. And he said, what was it? I'm the regional uh, meatloaf lookalike. I'm the regional runner-up in the meatloaf lookalike. Meatloaf. Do you know who Meatloaf is? He's a a rock star, musician guy. Uh, Sort of uh, kind of a bit fat, uh, long straggly hair. And, I mean, Bill Bailey doesn't really look like Meatloaf, but he looks a bit like Meatloaf, enough for him to make a joke about it. And and it's very normal for stand-up comedians, when they go up on stage, uh, the first thing that they do often is to make a joke about their appearance. You know, like Paul Taylor sometimes, not so much anymore, but um, a few years ago, uh, people sometimes say he looks like Harry Potter, okay? He looks a bit like Daniel Radcliffe. Less so these days, but he used to. So Paul used to come up on stage and go, I know what you're thinking. When did Harry Potter start doing comedy? You know, and usually that kind of thing gets a laugh. So it's very common for comedians to t- talk about their appearance. Wallapalooza? Nope. From England, it's Bill Bailey. Hello, my name is Bill Bailey. Uh, 1982... Meatloaf, lookalike, regional winner. 1982, uh, Meatloaf, lookalike, regional winner. And everyone goes, oh yeah, he does look a little bit like Meatloaf. Uh, (laughs) I've had some tough jobs. So this is where he's he's talking about the jobs that he used to do. The first one was uh, selling doors door to door. So if you sell something door-to-door, it means you go from one door to the next door to the next door trying to sell stuff. So you might be selling, you know, like kitchen um, goods, you know, like washing materials and things, or pots and pans for the kitchen, or encyclopedias or dictionaries, as they used to do before the internet, selling them door-to-door. Knock-knock-knock, or ding-dong. Hello, I just wonder if I could interest you in this uh, encyclopedia. No? Okay, thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Next door. Ding-dong. Hello, just wondering if you'd like to buy an, a fantastic encyclopedia. No? Okay. So it's a tough job selling things door-to-door. But imagine selling doors door-to-door. Uh, obviously, what would happen is you go, ding-dong, hello, uh, I wonder if I can interest... Oh, you've already got one. Okay. Toughest job I've ever had, selling doors door-to-door. Bing bong, good afternoon, can I interest you in it? Oh, you got one, haven't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I used to hang out at the park. I used to hang out at the park. So this is when he's, he's talking about uh, squirrels. Squirrels, you know what they are. They're these cute little animals that uh, run around climbing trees. They've got uh, long bushy tails. They're cute and lovely. Basically, they're, 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 they're rats with nice tails. But, you know, for some reason we love them and we hate rats. I don't really know. It's all about the tail, apparently. This is the thing that we... This is how we judge rodents or whatever they are. Rodents. The tail. Got a good tail? We love you got a bad tail we hate you and we will kill you we will find you we will hunt you down and we will kill you um anyway so he's talking about squirrels here these lovely little creatures in the park if you've ever observed uh, squirrels in the park you'll see they run around they get nuts and things and they kind of sit there with the nuts between their two hands very close to their mouth and they sort of they're very kind of paranoid and looking from left to right always trying to see if someone's there while holding the thing right in front of their face. And Bill Bailey says they're not actually uh, eating nuts, they're actually rolling little joints, like that. A joint is a spliff, uh, a, a, how would I say that? A, a spliff, a joint, a reefer. Um, that's how you smoke marijuana, weed, cannabis. Roll it into a joint and smoke it. Uh, so apparently squirrels are not eating nuts, they're just rolling little joints. 
used to go out the park, be with my mates, the squirrels. I don't know if you know it. Squirrels, big dope heads. Yeah. You watch them in the park, you think they're nibbling on a nut. They're not. They're actually rolling a little joint. They're like, they're like. At this point, Bill is doing a very good sort of bit of visual comedy, pretending to be a squirrel, acting like a squirrel would do if it was rolling a joint. I'm a big fan of uh, lying around scratching. I'm a big fan of lying around scratching. I'm a big fan of lying around scratching as well. And watching TV shows. Cop shows. And cop shows. Cop shows. Okay, so this is where he starts talking about um, Starsky and Hutch. So you know Starsky and Hutch, uh, don't you? Uh, TV show from America was on TV in the 70s. That's a bit of the music. This is the music from Starsky and Hutch. You can hear it's very cool. It's kind of like this 70s funk stuff. It's brilliant. Everyone loved uh, Starsky and Hutch. And at this point, Bill is going to talk about Starsky and Hutch. So here are just a few things. It was a show about two cops in the 1970s with groovy music, as you can hear. Lots of dramatic cop action. Sometimes they were on a stakeout. If cops are on a stakeout, it means they're sitting in a place watching somewhere like they're watching a, a house or watching a building and they're sitting there in their car maybe now american cops always have loads of food in the car that's kind of a cliche about american cops they eat donuts and danish pastries and they've got coffee you know cops on a stakeout in the 70s and uh, they drove a cool fast car like this red car with a white stripe down the side And they had an informant who kind of gave them news about the street. What's going on in the street, man? The informant was called Huggy Bear. Uh, And sometimes uh, they would have fights with criminals and, um, like, mafia guys and things like that. Uh, And they would often have car chases uh, in this amazing red car. And they would always drive the car down alleyways, like these spaces between buildings. They'd drive the car down alleyways with lots of cardboard boxes. There were always cardboard boxes in the alleyway, and they'd drive through all the boxes, and the boxes would fly everywhere, and it looked really good on TV. So that's Starsky and Hutch. Now, here, Bill is going to talk to you about uh, Starsky and Hutch, specifically the music that you hear, uh, the incidental music that you hear in the show. And uh, my favourites were the 70s ones. Starsky and Hutch, that was my favourite. What a fantastic show. I used to love the music as well. During the episodes, you get some fantastic music. Stakeout music, you know? They're sitting in a car, watching a drug bust across the street, and you get this kind of music. sitting in the car looking at each other like that <laughs> loads of coffee donuts snacks here Mm-mm. then it cuts to Huggy Bear in a club <laughs> what's happening back to the stakeout <laughs> a little cheese fondue set up there now Mm-mm. <laughs> and it cuts to two mafia hitmen sitting in a car down by the docks <laughs> the club. Phone goes. Huggy Bear, it's for you. What's that? Starsky and Hutch, they've been set up. i got to warn them. And he goes running out of the club. Pausing to look at the camera. Back to the stakeout. They're roasting a pig in there now like that. 
that applesauce. I'll get back, goes around the corner. Get out of there, man. It's a setup. Right, chuck the pig out the window. Let's go. How about that, Ali? No, there's no boxes down that one. Go down that one. Yeah, yeah. Hit them, hit them. Hey! Down to the docks. There's always boxes down there. Yeah, good idea. The hitmen are waiting for him. They riddle a car with bullets. Starsky's hit. He's bleeding. Hutchling's over. To be continued. It's brilliant. I love it. I absolutely love that stuff. Just the way he plays the, the guitar and all the stuff about the, uh, the the cop show is brilliant. There's a couple of little bits that I probably should explain. Little bits of vocab that are worth picking up. Fantastic music. Stakeout music. You know? They're sitting in a car, watching a drug bus across the street. Watching a drug bust. I think we know what the, a drug bust is when the police bust the criminals. They come in and arrest them. Watching a drug bust. And you get this kind of music. sitting in the car looking at each other like that <laughs> loads of coffee donuts snacks it and it cuts to huggy bear in a club it cuts to huggy bear in a club so cuts that's when a film you know moves from one scene to another cut it cuts to huggy bear in a club huggy bear is like their informant guy who's kind of down with the street and he knows what's going on he knows what the, he knows what's happening man he knows what's the word on the street man and uh, so this is Huggy Bear in a club, so probably dancing or something. Ow! What's happening? Back to the stakeout. <laughs> a little cheese fondue set up there now. Mm-mm. They've got a little cheese fondue set up. So cheese fondue, it's like what? Swiss, French, Swiss, I think. A Swiss way of eating cheese. You put all the cheese in a pot, you heat up the pot, the cheese melts, and then you dip in, what, bits of bread and stuff like that and get all the melted cheese. Yum, yum, yum. It's a rather complicated way to eat uh, cheese, but it's a nice way of doing it. Anyway, so uh, basically, uh, Starsky and Hutch, in their stakeout, the food that they've got in the car is getting more and more complex and advanced all the time. So it started with donuts and coffee, and now they've got a fondue set in there as well. And it cuts to two mafia hitmen sitting in a car down by the docks. They're mean. Back to the club. Phone goes. Huggy bear. Phone, the phone goes. So, so the phone goes. Ring, ring. And it's like, Huggy bear, it's for you. It's for you. What's that? Starsky and Hutch, they've been set up. Starsky and Hutch, they've been set up. If you're set up, it means that someone has framed you. So I guess this means that like, Starsky and Hutch think that they're watching a drug bust. In fact, they're, they're trapped. They've been set up. Someone has planned for them to be there. So they're going to attack them or something like that. So it's, it's a setup. I gotta warn them. And he goes running out of the club. Pausing to look at the camera. Back to the stakeout. They're roasting a pig in there now, like that. <laughs> Back to the stakeout. They're roasting a pig in there, like that. You know, roasting a pig. So they got a pig on a on a like a, a, a spit roast, and they're spit roasting a pig in the car now. Where's that applesauce? Huggy Bear comes around the corner. Get out of there, man! Get out of there, man! You've heard that in a million movies. Get out of there! It's like when you know there's a, there's trouble, something's going to happen. Get out of there! It's a setup. It's a setup. Okay. Right. Chuck the pig out the window. Let's go. How about that alley? No. How about that alley? Meaning, how about that alley? 
Let's drive down there. No, the, there are more boxes in this alley. Let's go down that alley. Hey, hit all the boxes. Yay. There's no boxes down that one. Go down that one. Yeah, yeah. Hit them, hit them. Hey. Down to the docks. There's always boxes down there. Yeah, good idea. The hitmen are waiting for him. They riddle a car with bullets. Starsky's hit. He's bleeding. Hutch leans over. To be continued. So uh, they riddle the car with bullets. So you imagine where there's a load of mafia guys, they've got machine guns, the car is there, and... They, that's, is that my best machine gun impression? Come on, I can do a bit better than that. Something like that, I suppose. And they riddle the car with bullets. You can imagine all the bullet holes all over the car, riddled with bullets. Um, what is it? Starsky, and hi- Starsky is hit. Hutch leans over. Down, 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 down. To be continued. Here we go. Right, um... At this point, Bill is moving over to the piano, so he's going to do some piano I used to stuff. Do all the suspense music in Scooby Doo. He said, I, "I used to do all the suspense music in Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo, that TV show with Scooby Doo, and what was the other guy's name? I can't remember. Isn't it Shaggy? That was it. Not the Shaggy from from music. It wasn't me. Not him, but another Shaggy from Scooby Doo. Shaggy, you'd be like, Zoinks! Let's get out of here, Scoob. You know that guy. He probably never said that in your country." You probably watched Scooby-Doo and he's like, he never said that because he was probably dubbed. Anyway, uh, Shaggy was like this kind of hippie character from the cartoon Scooby-Doo. And Scooby-Doo would be like, Scraggy, who? You know, all that stuff. Okay. So he said, I used to do all the suspense music, the moments of mystery or suspense. He used to do that music, apparently. I used to do all the suspense music in Scooby-Doo. All day long, I'll be like that. Oh? I used to be a session musician, but the xylophone was a bad choice, really. Uh, Not a great deal of work for it, you know. The best job I had was uh, playing the inserts on the Teach Yourself Language records. (laughs) Écoutez et répétez. So he's talking about when he was a session musician. He used to, um, uh, you know, play the xylophone. And um, he used to do the inserts on teach yourself language tapes. So I don't know if you've, you know, had that kind of thing where you're trying to learn a language from a tape or CD. And it goes, you know, listen and repeat. Ding! And then like a noise. And then you have to repeat the thing. So that was his job. Uh, Écoutez et répétez. And that was like uh, learning French, I suppose. News, that scares me, I tell you, the news. Terrifying, especially the way they present it. It's always presented in something like this, isn't it? News! News! Sit up straight, get your hair cut. Do a bit of national service. This is the news! Ah! <laughs> Chill out, man, it's only the news. I want the news delivered in a more mellow way. Do you know what I mean? I want it eased into my living room. You know, maybe like the jazz news. (laughs) Welcome to... 
to the jazz news. Here's the main point of the jazz news. It's a bad vibe going around the world. Stay out of trouble. Financial news now. Spread your bread around. Don't be no tight ass. We go now to the jazz weather. My man Solomon, the wise one. What's the word on the weather? The weather gonna be cool. Oh my gosh, I love it. I really do. Did you understand the jazz news? We go now to the jazz weather. Going to the jazz weather. What the, the news was? Spread um, your bread around. Out of trouble. There's a bad vibe going around the world. Stay out of trouble. There's a bad vibe going around the world. Stay out of trouble. Uh, Financial news. Um, What is it? Uh, Spread your bread around. Don't be no tight ass. Um, which is, I guess, the way like a jazz musician would would have spoken in like the fifties or something. Hey, man, spread your bread around. Don't be no tight ass, man. Uh, spread your bread around means uh, bread means money. So spread your money around, meaning like be generous. Don't be no tight ass means don't be tight uh, tight assed. Don't be no tight ass. Don't be a tight ass. Uh, meaning don't be mean. Don't be uh, sort of uh, uh, what is it? Stingy. Uh, don't be no tight ass, man. It's kind of how the hip people used to speak, man. Like jazz musicians, man. Yo, what's happening, man? Uh, so, financial news. Spread your bread around. Don't be no tight ass. Financial news now. Spread your bread around. Don't be no tight ass. And then we go over to the jazz weather with my main man, Solomon, the wise one. What's the word on the weather? And he goes, uh, what is it? Uh... Here's the weather, and that's him smoking a joint. It's going to be cool. We go now to the jazz weather. My man Solomon, the wise one. What's the word on the weather? The weather going to be cool. So um, there, I guess, I mean, just making fun of the little bits of slang and language and things like that, uh, that kind of thing, like uh, all that cool language and stuff, a lot of the hip, groovy slang does actually originally come from like jazz musicians in America. So words like cool, groovy, hip, things like that, uh, they come from uh, jazz musicians in America. Um, Let's move on to another uh, video from YouTube here. And this is Bill talking about... This, uh, talking about Stephen Hawking and his book, uh, A Brief History of Time. So, not musical stuff here, slightly more cerebral type I'm stuff. I'm Oh, sorry. Um, slightly more cerebral stuff. And uh, A Brief History of Time, uh, which is a book by uh, Stephen Hawking. Do you know who Stephen Hawking is? He's one of the world's like leading physicists. I guess he's like an astrophysicist or a physicist. He's a genius. He's amazing. Uh, there was a film about him um, that came out uh, not long ago with Eddie Redmayne. Um, anyway, uh, you know Stephen Hawking, genius scientist, uh, but in a wheelchair because he can only use part of his body and he communicates through a computer. Uh, Stephen Hawking wrote this amazing book called A Brief History of Time, which, you know, is a history of time, a brief history of time. And Bill Bailey's talking about how he took the book with him on holiday, uh, but he couldn't really get into it, he couldn't really understand it. I'm prepared to take on board anything that Stephen Hawking says. 
cleverest man on the planet, most brilliant scientific mind, whatever he says, gospel. That's why I took on holiday with me uh, a brief history of time. Uh, probably the wrong choice, actually. I mean, a bottle of tequila, space up, I would have done, but... Uh... <laughs> I've always felt slightly undereducated, you know, I've always been at a disadvantage. I left Bovington Gurney with a 2-2 in performing arts and a city and guilds in falconry. So, uh, <laughs> I'm spelt slightly disadvantaged. I've always tried to better myself. Brief history of time, right. Um, how can time have a history? Surely history is time, isn't it? And time is history, and time is an unbroken chain stretching off into the future, back into the past. And how can such a thing be brief... If it is infinite. And I thought to myself, I can't even get past the title. <laughs> so I put it to one side, read a bit of Tom Clancy. Now, I don't know if you've only read any Tom Clancy. It's a little bit easier to read. Although he does have a very, very coherent world philosophy. And that is good versus evil... Evil seems to get the upper hand. Good triumphs with vastly superior automatic weapons. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so I put it to one side. Too exciting, really. And uh, back to Hawking. Now, what he's describing is so vast, it's almost too much for the human brain to get your head round. He's talking about the size of our planet and the size of the star and the fact that our star, the sun in our solar system, is one of 100,000 million other stars that make up the galaxy. And this galaxy is one of 100,000 million other galaxies that make up the universe. Now, that is a billion, billion things by page two. That's too many things. I can't think of a billion, billion things. <laughs> billion, billion? I don't even know where I left my keys half the time. Billion, billion? <laughs> If I think a number of things, I get to 10, 11, 12, maybe 13 things, then my eyes start to glaze over, I have to sit down and eat a Pringle sandwich. <laughs> Drawing comfort as the level bread crushes the curve of the Pringle. Crush, crush, crush. Yum, 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 yum. OK, I'm going to have to stop there because uh, maybe you might need a little help here because he's making some pretty oblique little jokes and things. Uh, but don't worry, I'm here to help. I will, I'll help you understand it all. Um, and so, what it starts off with Bill Bailey saying, "I, I would, uh, and I believe anything that Stephen Hawking says is uh, the greatest scientific mind on the planet. Anything he says is gospel. So, if something is gospel, it means it's true. Uh, we'd say the gospel truth, meaning it comes from the Bible originally. Uh, but uh, gospel, it's sort of like slang uh, to say it's true. All right. Or anything that Stephen Hawking says." Cleverest man on the planet, most brilliant scientific mind, whatever he says, gospel. That's why I took on holiday with me uh, a brief history of time. That's why I took on holiday with me a brief history of time. And then he says, probably the wrong choice. If you imagine going on holiday, you don't necessarily want something like that. What do you want on holiday? Well, for Bill, he says, a bottle of tequila and a space hopper would have done. Uh, a space hopper, uh, that's one of those like children's toys from the 80s or 70s. It was like an orange inflatable, thick rubber orange inflatable balloon with like a, a face on it and like these weird ears like it was an alien. And what you did as a kid is you'd sit on the thing and hold the ears of the space hopper and bounce up and down the in the garden. That's a space hopper. So he's saying, I brought a brief history of time on holiday. Uh, probably a wrong, the wrong idea. Um, a bottle of tequila and a space hopper, space hopper would have done. 
probably the wrong choice, actually. I mean, a bottle of tequila, space up, I would have done, but... Uh... <laughs> I've always felt slightly undereducated. You know, I've always been at a disadvantage. I, I felt slightly undereducated, always been disadvantaged. This is when he talks about Boffington Gurney again, which is this place. I, I don't know where it is. Uh, I, I, well, I graduated from Boffington Gurney with a 2-2 in performing arts. A 2-2. So when you get a degree from a university in the UK, the best d- degree you can get is a first. The next best is a 2-1. That means a second-class degree but a higher, like a higher second-class degree. The next one down, like the third level down, is a 2-2, which is like a a second-class degree, second level, okay? And so Bill graduated from university with a 2-2 in uh, performing arts and a city and guilds in falconry. A city and guilds is like a really low-level qualification for basic skills. A city and guilds, it's just a simple qualification, in this case, a city and guilds in falconry. Falconry is uh, the art of like uh, looking after birds and uh, particularly birds of prey, falcons, flying birds, and having them land on your 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 gloved hand. Uh, keeping falcons, falconry. Uh, so this is just an example of his weird education that he got, like this strange degree, which was merged with, uh, as we heard before, it was merged with the Owl Sanctuary, wasn't it? Left Bovington Gurney with a 2-2 in performing arts and a city and guilds in falconry. So, uh, <laughs> I'm spelt slightly disadvantaged. I'm always trying to better myself. Brief history of time, right. Um, how can time have a history? Surely history is time, isn't it? And time is history, and time is an unbroken chain stretching off into the future, back into the past. How does this bit end? Do you remember? There's a little punchline. What's the punchline? And how can such a thing be brief if it is infinite? And I thought to myself, I can't even get past the title. (laughs) I thought to myself, I can't even get past the title. So he starts with the title of the book, and immediately he's like, how can time have a history surely history is time and it's all one unbroken chain and blah 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 and i thought i can't even get past the title so the book is so heavy that even the title is so dense that he can't even get beyond the title (laughs) so i put it to one side so he put it to one side and he chose a book by Tom Clancy. Uh, Tom Clancy is like a well-known author in the UK. And he writes these basic, simple books about sort of army-related missions and sort of war stories. And it's very simple, easy to follow stuff. And usually it's like the, the probably the British army who are the good guys fight against some other army who are the bad guys. And the good guys win because they've got much more powerful weapons. Read a bit of Tom Clancy. Now... <laughs> I don't know if you've only read any Tom Clancy. It's a little bit easier to read. Although he does have a very, very coherent world philosophy. And that is, good versus evil. Evil seems to get the upper hand. Good triumphs with vastly superior automatic weapons. Actually, Tom Clancy's American. He's not British. But anyway, you get the idea. Kind of one of those uh, authors who writes like basic sort of war stories. Um, Okay, so he he puts that to one side and he gets the the brief history of time again. (laughs) So I put it to one side. Too exciting, really. And uh, back to Hawking. Now, what he's describing is so vast, it's almost too much for the human brain to get your head round. He's talking about the size of our planet and the size of the star and the fact that 
our star, the sun in our solar system, is one of 100,000 million other stars that make up the galaxy. And this galaxy is one of 100,000 million other galaxies that make up the universe. Now, that is a billion, billion things by page two. That's too many things. I can't think of a billion, billion things. <laughs> billion, billion? I don't even know where I left my keys half the time. Billion, billion? Billion, billion? I don't even know where I left my keys half the time. A billion billion is obviously too many things, and it's only page two of the book. If I think a number of things, I get to 10, 11, 12, maybe 13 things, then my eyes start to glaze over. I have to sit down and eat a Pringle sandwich. If I have to start thinking about things, I get to, what, 10, 11, 12, 13, and my eyes glaze over. So if your eyes glaze over, it means, you know, that you sort of suddenly you get bored or you don't understand what's going on. Right, you know that you know when you're talking to someone, blah 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 blah, talking about some technical thing, and you realise their eyes have started to glaze over, and you realise you've got no idea what I'm talking about, have you? Uh, I hope that none of you out there have your eyes glazed over right now. If your eyes are glazed over, unglaze them now. Uh, so he's saying, if I have to count more than say twelve or thirteen, my eyes start to glaze over. I have to sit down and eat a Pringle sandwich. So a Pringle sandwich, you know what Pringles are, right? Everyone's got Pringles. They come in a tube. They're crisps. They come in a tube and they're very Moorish. Once you pop, you can't stop, right? With Pringles, they're like these crisps, and you take them out of the tube and you eat them. And they've got this curved shape, haven't they, Pringles? They all go in the tube together in this curved shape. And so he said, I uh, I have to sit down and eat a, a Pringle sandwich. And so apparently eating a Pringle sandwich is very satisfying for him because it's very enjoyable to, to see the flat bread crushing the curvature of the Pringle. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> crush, crush, crush. Yum, yum, yum. Drawing comfort as the level bread crushes the curve of the Pringle. Crush, crush, crush. Yum, 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 yum. <laughs> We've all done it. Uh, this is it. I got about. Uh, I was getting in the book. I was getting really bogged down with it, and I thought, well, maybe I'm reading this book the wrong way. Maybe I'm approaching it completely the wrong way. I'm, I'm looking at it like it's a scientific textbook. I should maybe come at it from an oblique angle. Maybe lo- look at it like it's a novel or something. So I, t- you know, take it to a meadow with a dandelion. Like, <laughs> Pretend it's a bit of lightweight melodrama or something. You know, bit of Jane Austen, for example. There. Ah, Mr. Knightley, I am confused and not a little annoyed. It seems that even non-rotating black holes create and emit particles at a steady rate. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so he's saying he had to change his approach to reading this book, and he decided to read it as if it was some sort of romantic uh, novel, like a Jane Austen novel. And now he's doing sort of Jane Austen, um, the style of Jane Austen, but with the content of of, uh, physics. And it's very good. Like this style, this old-fashioned style that Jane Austen used to use, mixed in with the, uh, the, the, the stuff about physics. Like it's a novel or something. So I t- you know, take it to a meadow with a dandelion. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Pretend it's a bit of lightweight melodrama or something, you know. Bit of Jane Austen, for example. Uh, ah, Mr. Knightley, I am confused and not a little annoyed. It seems that even non-rotating black holes create and emit particles at a steady rate. Tush and fi, Emma. Quantum mechanics tells us the particles are created just outside the black hole's event horizon. Oh, Mr. Knightley, my synapses are shutting down. 
sort of flows a bit better, doesn't it? Uh, okay, I can't really explain a lot of that stuff about black holes and sort of uh, quantum mechanics and things. Oh, Mr. Knightley, my synapses are shutting down. Your synapses are like the electrical connections in your brain. I'm going to move on, and we're going to have uh, Bill Bailey talking about learning Chinese and also a story about how he, I think he was in Beijing, and he went to a, a restaurant and he saw all these animals in the window of the restaurant, including an owl as well. And we've dealt with what an owl is, you know, one of those birds that comes out at night. Their head can go all the way around 360 degrees. They go, <whistles> like, kind of make that noise, don't they? Don't they? Um, and uh, Harry Potter had an owl. So he went to Beijing, uh, he's been learning Chinese, he went to Beijing, he saw an owl in the window, and he decided he didn't want the owl to be killed and eaten, he wanted to save it. And how did he do it? So this is all about the complexities for an English person in China, and also about how difficult it is for an English person, in this case Bill Bailey, to learn Chinese. Now I don't know, first, I can't say if... Uh, the Chinese that Bill is speaking here is actually correct or proper Chinese. It probably isn't. Um, but it sounds kind of funny from an English point of view because Chinese sounds so complicated. All the different levels of intonation and the different sounds you have to make, it's so foreign to us that it sounds really uh, extraordinary. And then there's the stuff about the restaurant where there are all these different animals. I don't know if this kind of thing is really true, if you really do find all of these exotic animals in a restaurant window, or whether uh, Bill Bailey is just, you know, using artistic license. But anyway, it all makes uh, quite a funny story. Um, And so, hold on. Um, So if you, you know, don't take this too seriously, okay? If you're Chinese and um, you're listening to the way that Bill is, like, trying to say Chinese words, obviously it's done for comic effect. And also the thing about the animals, well, I don't know if that's true. You can let me know if you can buy uh, certain types of bird in, in certain restaurants in certain parts of China. Anyway, let's hear Bill telling this story. <laughs> so I was in China, obviously, and... Um... I wanted to learn the language, and I don't know if you've ever tried to learn Mandarin, but it's very hard, devilishly tricky, very sinuous, very exotic, very other. The sounds required to speak Mandarin are so unlike anything in our language. Wonderful sounds we make only at moments of revulsion or disgust. It's often handy to have a carton of off milk with you when learning Mandarin. So he's saying that uh, the sorts of sounds that you have to make when you're speaking Chinese are uh, the sorts of sounds that are so foreign to us. We only ever make them when we're disgusted or revolted by something. And um, so he says it's often handy to have a a bottle of off milk with you when you're learning Mandarin. Off milk. Uh, Milk that's off or milk that's gone off, obviously, is it milk that's gone past its its use-by date and it smells disgusting, right? It smells kind of like a cheese. So he's saying it's handy to have a bottle of off milk with you when you're trying to learn Chinese. It's often handy to have a carton of off milk with you when learning Mandarin. (laughs) Mm, Nice pronunciation, thank you. 
And the other problem, of course, is the tones, the intonation. You know, if you get that wrong, that can radically alter the meaning of the word. I'll give you an example. The word ma in Mandarin in the different tones. Ma, 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 ma. That means mother, hemp, horse or disappointment. <laughs> that is a social disaster waiting to happen right there. Yeah, since your horse died, I've been smoking a lot of your mother. <laughs> and I just wanted a bit of conversation, you know, a bit of chit-chat. I wanted to order some food off a street seller in Beijing. So I learnt the word for dumpling, which is zi. That's the lovely quality of Mandarin. It's got a sound of like, I know what I'm talking about. No, I don't. <laughs> And I learned the word hello, which is ni hao. So to help me pronounce it, I sort of physicalized the words. As I went up to her, I said, uh, ni hao, a jiaozi. So here is Bill is doing like very big physical actions. Ni hao, jiaozi. Like big arm movements and things to help him pronounce it. Which actually I think is a... a, a kind of obviously this is an exaggeration but it is actually quite a good thing to do if you're trying to get intonation rhythm into your voice um and sentence stress and so on using your hands using your body can actually be a very good thing to do uh because speaking english you know speaking any language is a physical action it's about getting the sounds out you use not just your mouth but you use your whole body your head your arms your shoulders the whole thing so actually i think that's not a bad idea using your body like that see look terrified out of a witch because I presumably said I want to laminate a cat she looked terrified out of her wits because presumably he said I want to laminate a cat to laminate something if you get a piece of paper or card that you photocopied you want to cover it in plastic you'd laminate it right and then it's covered in plastic uh, so uh, he, he probably was saying something wrong not hello can I have some dumplings but he was probably saying something like I want to laminate a cat because I presumably said I want to laminate a cat And if you think speaking is hard, the written Chinese is an enigma wrapped in a puzzle cloaked in a mystery. Because Chinese characters, of which there are many thousands, contain all these elaborate pictograms and stories and sub-stories. The pictogram meaning, I'm thirsty. When you literally translate it, it means, I wasn't thirsty before, but now I am thirsty. So each one contains an elaborate backstory to the thing that you actually want. Like, uh, painkiller is, I didn't really like David Bowie's later work, I wouldn't mind some Neurofin. <laughs> or, I threw a stone into the pond, the ripples bounced off the bank, they met in the middle in a beautiful helix, a water bowl and I shared a moment. Anyway, all that being the case, would you mind calling me an ambulance? <laughs> so, um, this is what, I threw a pebble into a pond, the ripples... Uh, what is it? So if you throw a stone into water, obviously the water ripples, okay? You get ripples that come out. Or I threw a stone into the pond. The ripples bounced off the bank. They the ripples bounced off the bank, so the ripples came out, bounced back, and they formed a helix, so they kind of all combined together to form a helix. Uh, a water vole and I shared a moment... That means a water vole is like a little animal, a bit like a squirrel or a rat. A water vole and I shared a moment. We looked at each other. 
They met in the middle in a beautiful helix. A water bowl and I shared a moment. Anyway, all that being the case, would you mind calling me an ambulance? <laughs> While we were there, we went to a Chinese restaurant because there was loads of them. And in the window, there were the familiar sights, crabs, prawns, bubbling away in tanks. But there amongst this familiar stuff was more exotic fare. A salamander in a bath, civet cats in cages, snakes slithering on the floor. And there was a cormorant looking doubly pissed off. And a cormorant is a seabird that you don't normally see in a restaurant window. And it was looking doubly pissed off, like extra pissed off. Amongst these things, on the menu in the front of the restaurant was an owl. And not just an ordinary owl, a Eurasian eagle owl, an enormous, magnificent beast, just waiting to be on the buffet. And I'm thinking, if this is the stuff they got out the front, what have they got out of the back? Special order. A Bigfoot, a push-me-pull-you, a Lorax. He's thinking, if this is what they got out the front, what have they got around the back? The special orders. A Bigfoot. You know what Bigfoot is? Like, uh, what is it, Sasquatch? A Bigfoot. A push-me-pull-you. It's like some sort of mythical double-headed beast. A Lorax. I don't know what a Lorax is, but I think it's a mythical beast. Let's have a look. Lorax is... uh, (laughs) They made a movie about it as well. Um, uh, Written by Dr. Seuss. So maybe it's not even a real animal. I don't know anyway. Some sort of mythical animal. I think this one made by um, Dr. Seuss. So what have they got round the back? If this is what they've got round the front, what do they have round the back? The special orders. Almost magnificent beast just waiting to be on the buffet. And I'm thinking, if this is the stuff they got out the front, what have they got out of the back? Special order. A Bigfoot. A push-me-pull-you. A Lorax. A phoenix. Mind you, that'd be tricky to cook, though, wouldn't it? You know? <laughs> phoenix would be tricky to cook, of course, because a phoenix, another mythical animal, uh, is famous for uh, coming out of the flames, right? So the phoenix rises again from the flames, so it would be difficult to cook, wouldn't it? I suppose you'd have to trick it and poach it or something. To poach something is to cook it in water, like you poach eggs in water. Uh, it'd be difficult to cook a, a phoenix. You'd have to trick it and poach it. Tricky to cook, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> You'd have to trick it, poach it, or something. And uh... <laughs> so we tried to buy the owl. I thought I can't leave this owl here. You know, I mean, there was something. There was something inside me. You know, I had to had to do the right thing. You know, because the goose didn't make it. You know, so. Yeah, it was always uh, weighing on my heart. So if we can get this owl out of here, that'll be a good thing, a Private Ryan moment. So there's a bit of haggling and, and some almost some disastrous haggling because, of course, you know, the only word you know is dumpling. Then uh, trying to buy an owl in a restaurant <laughs> and not get it cooked into a dumpling is quite hard. <laughs> but eventually they agreed and it was all smiles then. It was like, these crazy Westerners want a takeaway owl. <laughs> so... They wrapped it in sellotape from beak to claw. Now, So they wrapped it from head to toe, or from beak to claw, in sellotape. Sellotape is sticky, sort of sticky plastic, what you would use to, to sell it. If you had a box, you were packing up a box, you would use sellotape to stick the box together. That's quite undignified for an owl, and I'm not an expert, but I don't think that's the correct way of moving owls around. <laughs> This owl was so angry. I mean, it was... I've never seen a creature so pissed off. It was like it was like a bloke who just got a paper cut off his eviction notice. You know what I mean? It was like... 
It was so pissed off. It was like a bloke who just got a paper cut from his eviction notice. So an eviction notice is a letter that you get which says that you have to move out of your apartment or move out of your house. You've been evicted. It's a legal order which says you have to leave your house. So obviously that's going to make you angry if you get it. Uh, And he got a paper cut from his eviction notice. That's when paper cuts your skin, right? We've all experience that when you pick up some paper the paper at the edge of the paper rubs against your finger and it cuts your skin ah so it's uh, the owl was pissed off it was like a bloke who just got a paper cut from his eviction notice of his eviction notice you know what i mean it was like <laughs> we put it in a cardboard box marked suitable for microwave oven the ultimate indignity and then we put it in a taxi and drove off and through the medium of pointing, we told the taxi driver to take us to the woods. Take us up to the woods where we can release the owl. And so we got to the woods. It was getting dark. There was the dusk. And by the light of the taxi, we tried to get the owl out of the box. So there was a bit of a struggle. It was pretty brutal. I'm thrashing around with it. And the owl's fixing me with this glare like, is this what you do in your holidays, beardy? <laughs> Sellotape up owls and drive them around in the woods. What are you doing next year? Gaffering up a gazelle, chuckling down a water slide. (laughs) This is the owl as he's trying to rescue it. The owl's looking at him going, is this how you spend your holidays? Sellotaping up uh, owls and releasing them into the woods. What are you doing next year? Gaffer taping up a gazelle. Gaffer tape is like sellotape, but it's much stronger. It's like, you know, grey or dark and it's really tough tape. What are you doing next year? Gaffer taping up a, a gazelle and throwing it down a water slide. And while I was thrashing with it, I'm thinking, this is the point I look up and see the headmaster of my son's school on a cycling holiday of southern China. Oh, and he, oh, Mr. Bailey. Oh, uh, it's not what it looks like. Uh, it's Bill Oddie's birthday party. Uh, we're playing parcel parcel or something. And. So this is when uh, he imagines how bad it would be if uh, his uh, son's teacher or the headmaster of his son's school on a cycling holiday in southern China or whatever uh, sees him and goes, oh, Mr. Bailey, what are you doing? And he's, he has to try and make excuses. And he says, it's Bill Oddie's birthday. Bill Oddie is a TV presenter that everyone knows in the UK. And he was famous for, for having TV shows about birds. Yes, that's right. On the BBC, uh, we used to have plenty of TV shows about bird watching because bird watching is such a popular thing for us to do we like to go out into the countryside with binoculars and look at birds yes um anyway i was looking around for something to cut the sellotape off we had nothing we looked in the boot of the taxi he had an oven glove in his boot and some nail scissors in his glove box i'm thinking is this just a scam is this an owl homing scam and we've just blundered into it no i can't think like that so i said to him although he didn't speak a word of english i said you hold the owl's talons with the oven glove and i'll cut the sellotape off the owl with the nail scissors now there's not a phrase book in the world There's not a phrase book in the world. How would you finish that sentence? There isn't a phrase book in the world that would contain those phrases, of course. Like, you hold the owl's talons, its feet, its sharp feet, and I'll cut off the sellotape with the nail scissors. There isn't a phrase book in the world that would contain those phrases. Not even in the getting to know you section. I tried jowls, nothing, you know? So, I was just trying to do the right thing, you know? Because 
well, I felt responsible. My family there, my son's there, got to set a good example. So at this point, uh, Bill goes on to talk about his family and stuff, but um, I think I'm going to leave that one there. What do you think of Bill Bailey's uh, comedy? I think it's excellent stuff. I think it's very clever and amusing, but as I said before, you know, sense of humour is subjective. I hope, certainly, that some of the things I've said in this episode have helped you to understand and follow all that stuff. What I recommend, honestly, is that you go to the website and you look at those videos and you just watch them in their entirety. And since I've just done this episode and explained a lot of it, I do think you should watch it again, see Bill's sort of uh, body movements, and you might find that you actually enjoy it a lot more, especially when you hear all of his jokes one by one without me interrupting. I want to just play a little bit more uh, because this is from a show that I really liked. I want to do some stuff about doorbells. Let's have the doorbell bit. We're living in very tense times. I, I find myself increasingly more tense and mistrustful. <laughs> it's the joggers I don't trust, because they're always the ones that find the bodies, aren't they? Did you get that? Did you get that joke? Um, he's saying we live in difficult times, it's kind of dangerous and so on. It's the joggers I don't trust. So joggers, people who go jogging, Many joggers listen to this podcast. You might even be jogging right now. Anyway, it's the joggers I don't trust because they're always the ones that find the bodies, aren't they? So, meaning whenever there's been a murder, it's usually the joggers who discover the body. Isn't that a strange coincidence? So, it's the joggers I don't trust because they're always the ones that uh, discover the body, aren't they? Uh, Good evening, Bill Bailey. Um, Thank you. (laughs) We're living... In very tense times, I I find myself increasingly more tense and mistrustful. (laughs) It's the joggers I don't trust, because they're always the ones that find the bodies, aren't they? (laughs) Coincidence? I don't think so. I was at the supermarket. I was at one of the new self-service tills. You know the ones with the two extra members of staff hanging around? <laughs> to deal with the slack-jawed Luddites as they pour ineffectually at the screen like a cat when a mouse comes on the TV. <laughs> and suddenly there was this terrifying voice. Unexpected item in the bagging area! <laughs> I was walking in my street, and um, I get recognised sometimes. People thought, some of thought I was Shakira. And, uh, <laughs> it's the hips. They don't lie. And, two hoodies appeared. They're quite scary, scary, aren't they? Intimidating. One of them said, are you that bloke? And I said, only you can answer that. And his mate said, are you that bloke off the TV? And I said, yes. And he said, what are you doing walking around like normal? <laughs> like he thought I should be hovering. <laughs> so I was a little bit scared, because they were outside my house. I thought I'd better change my doorbell, because uh, I wanted to deter unwanted callers. Most doorbells are quite friendly, aren't they? Well, they're quite nice. Or, you know, maybe not that one, if you've got an abduction complex. And 
that's actually the Pope's doorbell. <laughs> okay. Right, I think that's uh, that's enough uh, of Bill Bailey. You're talking about the Pope's doorbell? I'm hoping someone's going to ring. Come on, come on, come on. Okay, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to visit the website where you can, you know, see all those videos and actually see the way he does them properly and all that stuff. Uh, thank you very much for listening. I hope this, I hope you have found this to be of benefits to your English. That's the general idea, um, and uh, that you may have even enjoyed a couple of the jokes along the way. Uh, all right, speak to you again on the podcast soon. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.